This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021, and my guest is the excellent Elena Stone of Geekspin. Hi, Elena. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. It's been a little while. Yeah, it has. And you know what? I've got you back because it's kind of been Xiaomi month. I mean, I, I guess it's March now, so February was Xiaomi month. We talked about them so much, and we have more. So I wanted you on because I've had the Mi 11 for a few days now. I'm more than that, maybe two weeks. And I've had a chance to finally use it a bit more than last show. And you just published your review. So let's start with that. What are your thoughts on that phone? Well, it's, it's actually the first Xiaomi phone that I've ever reviewed. Though I have you know played with them in the past at, you know, in places like Mobile World Congress. Um, so I was really surprised. Uh, it's a great phone. Uh, it's yeah. a really, really good, affordable flagship phone. And I feel like it kind of reminds me of what OnePlus was back in the day, which was you know offering great, great hardware for so much less than the competitors. Um, and, and to that effect, like the, the, the Mi 11, it, it offers so much of what the S21 Plus offers and even the S21 Ultra offers, but for several hundred dollars less. Um, but there's, yeah. there's a catch. Um, and I mean, and yeah, you know, there's some, there's definitely some aspects of the phone where it's a little bit weaker. For example, the selfie camera that I think me and you spoke about this previously privately, that the selfie camera just isn't as good as what you get from the competition, like the pixel or the iPhone. Um, and, but those are all like yeah. forgivable, but it's what for me is really the biggest catch and the biggest shame is that you can't use it with 5g in the United States. Yeah, and that's been the issue. I mean, Xiaomi is not still not officially entered the U.S. market for phones. They sell a lot of their other cool things that they make. You know, as you know, they make almost everything and anything from like, you know, rice cookers to like air purifiers to like accessories to they even like have, you know, their scooters. Most of the uh, Lime scooters in the U.S. are Xiaomi scooters uh, rebranded and of course uh, you know used for rental rather than private use and so they have they make all kinds of stuff but we don't have their phones officially so it's very hard for them to justify you know supporting 5g in the u.s which as you know you know even in sub six is quite a bunch of specialized bands never mind millimeter wave right well you know speaking of the xiaomi brand i do actually own one of their scooters it's a phenomenal scooter and and it and I th- it's great that you mentioned that because I feel like a lot of people just don't know the brand, even though they do know the brand and they just don't realize right. it. Um, <laughs> and, and and the scooter is just like this, probably the most popular scooter in the world. My guess, I've seen it everywhere around the world. Yeah, for um, sure. It's probably the most sold. But, you know, going back to the 5G on the Mi 11, as much as I am disappointed that it doesn't support 5G, uh, I did test my device with T-Mobile. Uh, and um, I got LTE plus the speeds were about like, I don't know, 35 megabytes down, 40 megabytes up. I'm testing it here in New York City. And the truth is, is that 5G on T-Mobile on a 5G device isn't all that much faster. And no, and these LTE, LTE speeds are actually usable for most people. So it may not be a deal breaker for everyone. If you're looking for that Snapdragon 88 processor, you want a great display, a great build. Uh, and, you know, just like an overall great flagship phone for a lot less, it's still worth considering. 
for sure. I think right now in the terms of 5G and the state of 5G in the US, you know, unless you go millimeter wave with Verizon or even AT&T and T-Mobile, they have a few millimeter wave spots. You're not going to get like spectacular performance. You're not going to get much more than LTE. In fact, I think AT&T and Verizon are consistently below LTE in terms of speeds. The thing about 5G though, that's interesting, especially with T-Mobile, is that you get a bit more reach. So if you're like um, in an area where LT kind of peters off for you, I find that like in the burbs, for example, I find that, you know, 5G kind of reaches that extra block or two, you know? Or if you're in a basement, it works a little better because it's, you know, usually it's using 600 megahertz for, for T-Mobile and that's the band obviously that it's missing on the on the Mi 11. It's probably missing that band for LT as well because T-Mobile uses 600 for both LT and 5G. And that's only a band you get on like iPhones and Galaxies and of course the phones that T-Mobile sells, right? And the OnePlus phones, which is great. The OnePlus phones uh, sold like in the US, whether they're unlocked or sold by T-Mobile have these extra bands that are really critical. Uh, but I think what's going to really help with 5G in the US, and I think, again, T-Mobile is at the forefront of this, is mid-band, right? Like the refarming of the sprint frequencies into something that can be used in urban environments is going to give us, like, I think we're going to see multiple 100 megabit connectivity without millimeter wave on sub-6 once that starts rolling out with Timo. Unfortunately, they only have like three or four CDs right now with that. So, but again, this doesn't matter with the Mi 11 because you're not going to get it. <laughs> and the, but you know what, for someone like me who's living in New York City where the five, the current 5G connect network isn't that fast anyway, it's very congested. The truth is uh, my main phone is, does not have 5G. My primary phone doesn't have 5G and I don't care. And right. and, and, and in in a world where you're working from home and you're on Wi-Fi most of the time anyway, it really doesn't make as much a difference anyway no. for me um but um th you know that's what why i still love this phone is that as long as you can accept that grievance it actually could it, it's worth it it's worth giving it a chance i think so i mean i feel like you're getting you know basically as you said you're getting an s21 plus with some s21 ultra specs for an s21 price exactly that's the best summary. And, you know, battery life is okay. It could be better. It's 4,600 milliamp hour. I think one of the tricks to make it better is to turn off 5G, which is in the settings, because then it's not looking for 5G signal, and it helps a little bit. The other way to help is to drop it down to 1080p, because this is a beautiful, gorgeous display. It's quad HD, 120 hertz. I can live with slightly less resolution, but I can't live with less refresh. So for me, and I run my OnePlus 8 Pro like that. I run it at 1080p with 120 hertz because even though it's Quad HD, I'm never using it Quad HD because I say it's battery that way, right? Yeah. So when you did your battery life test, did you run it full on Quad HD at 120 hertz or did you run it at 1080p or at 60 hertz? I've been using it at 120. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm... I'm uh... I'm all about the performance. I'm I'm obsessed with displays, and I and I like to use a phone at its max. So you're you've got it maxed out. Yeah, yeah, I think that might be the issue. I think that if you scale it down a little bit, you might get just better battery life. To be frank, for my review right now of the Mi 11, I'm also running it full on at Quad HD 120 hertz because well, you only live once, right? So, <laughs> well, you know, I feel like that's a huge selling point for it. It's all about the hardware and, um. And the reality is, is that it does get me through the day. It's not bad. It's just not as good as I would have anticipated, but it's still a solid day full of battery life. And that fast charging 
really makes it easy to charge it back up. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. Like we're, we're, we're being picky because we've had a lot of phones in our hands that do two days, right? Like easily lately. And so this is just a, a minor niggle because 4,600 or whatever it is, milliamp hour battery on that phone is, is plenty enough, especially with Snapdragon 888. So, but I think you're right. We need to talk about the other elephant in the room in a way, because, you know, you look at Samsung that they went from 45 watt charging in a Galaxy S20 series to 25 watt charging down basically in the 21 series. And here we have, you know, Xiaomi and Oppo and OnePlus pulling out phones with 50, 55, 65 watt fast charging wired. And in this case, also wireless fast charging at, what is it, 50 watt as well? So like, why can't we get that from Samsung? I, I can understand Apple's a little more conservative, but I just don't understand why this is a normal, you know? I, you know, it's, I, I feel like the way, where the innovation comes from these days is that it comes first from the Chinese manufacturers. Yep. Then you have like the Samsungs building on that innovation and then eventually it trickles down to Apple. <laughs> it's totally true. But I feel like, you know, for Samsung going back to 25 watt, it's kind of borderline insulting. You know, we're going to talk about some more Xiaomi sub-branded phones here in a second. And we're talking about phones that are $200 and have 33 watt fast charging. Hmm. Like, so you have no excuse, Samsung, to go down to 25. 45 was, you know, a very special thing with the S20 in the sense that it only worked in some cases. Like, I think it only did 45 watt for 10 minutes when you were in the middle of the battery. Like, you know what I'm saying? It was very, it was just 45 watt on paper more than anything else. But it did reach 30 to 35 watt all the time, pretty steadily. Now we're back to 25. I feel like stepping down like that is just a cost cutting at this point, you know? Like they did the plastic bag on the S21, you know? Yeah, and it's especially obnoxious because their phones are still so expensive. And it's especially obnoxious when the, M the Mi 11 has a glass back and wireless charging. And like fast wireless charging and fast everything charging. Yeah. Yeah. There's no question. The, the Mi 11 is a better value than Samsung right now. Definitely. But I want to talk about software because I still, I'm not a huge fan of One UI on Samsung, but I feel like it's gotten okay. I still think that while Xiaomi's MIUI has gotten significantly better over the last two years. It still feels kind of clunky in Chinese to me. It's fine. It's fast. It's smooth. There's no issue there. I'm not talking about performance. I'm talking about the, the way it's like the philosophy of it, the user experience of it, the way it feels when you're navigating around. If you're coming from like a Pixel or a Moto or even a Sony phone or a Nokia that all run very clean builds or like a OnePlus. Like if you come from um, Oxygen OS, it feels like you're having to jump all these extra hurdles to get to your stuff, you know? I hear that. And, you know, as I, this was, again, my first time reviewing the Xiaomi. Um, and, and I'm not crazy about their UI, but I, I felt that it was very iOS-like um, aesthetically. And that I understood the appeal and I understood why they took that direction. I feel like if you're, you know, an iPhone user, you'll feel, feel like it's familiar. Whereas an iPhone user coming to Android isn't going to maybe feel as familiar or at home. Um, so I feel like there's like that benefit to it. That's true. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I was like, because I've seen some, some Chinese overlays and they're just like disasters aesthetically. Um, when it comes to user user experience, their disasters, and I thought this was is really quite solid. Um, you know, going back to to Samsung's 
um, One UI. It, it used to be horrible. It used to be a nightmare. And it's definitely gotten a lot better. But I don't feel like it's... it's I feel like Xiaomi's kind of in, on the same level as them, almost. Yeah. I think you're right. I think what's happening, and having followed Chinese phones for quite a while now, what I'm seeing is a as they're getting more global with their phones and launching in more countries, there is a thinning of the skinning, thinning of the skinning, you know? <laughs> like, it's getting less intrusive and less iOS-like and more Android-like. The biggest change has been, in the last few years, has been Oppo with ColorOS. They're almost down to the same level as a OnePlus Oxygen now, which makes sense. It's the same company, right? BBK Group. But... For a long time, ColorOS was just like, oh, I cannot deal with this. It's It just felt so not Android-like. And now it's finally at the point where, you know, you get like a, an Oppo Find or a Reno or something, and it's just like, yeah, okay, I can live with this. It's totally fine. It's more streamlined, I think, than MIUI on Xiaomi or than what Huawei is doing. So I think it's interesting that it's changing so quickly. Same with Vivo. The, the Vivo OS skin used to be a complete nightmare, and now it's a lot better, you know. So I haven't had the pleasure of reviewing an Oppo device yet, <laughs> um, but that that all made a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think uh, for me the the last thing I want to talk about on the Mi Eleven because again you know we we did a first impressions TK and I last week on the show, but you and I have now spent some significant time with these phones. I'm really impressed with the cameras overall, but I have some niggles. I think that it's interesting. Last year's Mi Ten really impressed me in terms of imaging. And it's essentially the same camera system. I mean, last year's Mi 10 had a 108 megapixel sensor. It was, that was a big shtick. And so they've carried that on. And last year's Mi 10, they had, they had the ultra wide. And I don't remember if it had a macro. I'd have to look it up. But it didn't matter because it did really well. And I was really impressed. And Xiaomi's imaging performance has, same with Oppo, by the way, has increased drastically over the last two years. Just like their OSs have streamlined drastically their skins. But I feel like this year with the Mi 11, I'm actually not as impressed with the 108 megapixel sensor as I am, say, on the on the Galaxy Note 20 Ultra that I last reviewed with 108 because I don't have an S21 yet, Ultra. So the I think that Samsung has finally managed to extract all the goodness out of that 108 megapixel sensor. And they didn't initially with the S20 Ultra last year. They didn't do that great of a job. And I find that the Mi here, the Mi 11, might have stagnated versus the Mi 10. I'm being nitpicky here to be sure because these are really good cameras. But I feel like they could get a little bit more out of that camera. The good news is that you can zoom up to 5x with very little loss of quality because you, you have so many pixels to play with. The bad news is there's no dedicated telephoto, which really does annoy me because, you know, you're going to say, well, the S21 and S21 Plus have a fake telephoto that what they call a telephoto is really a 1.1x zoom optical with a big 64 megapixel sensor underneath that they're cropping just to get a zoom effect, which is cheating. Unless you go to the Ultra, which is a real, has two real telephotos, right? So I think that I would have liked to have at least like a 3x telephoto like Samsung did with the S20 Fan Edition, you know, or like they did with the Z Fold 2 or like they did with the S10s the year before. Because optics, you cannot cheat. Like it, you really need those optical lenses to zoom properly. And the Mi 11 5x is, you know, it's like acceptable quality, non-optical zoom. So... 
that's kind of my beef here. But the other thing is, the converse of that is that they have finally given us a macro that's half decent because it has autofocus. It is five megapixel. There is some usable pixel density there. I still feel that nobody really needs a macro. Like, I think that of all the lenses you could use, ultra-wide, main, and tele are the way to go. If you want to take a macro shot and you have a telephoto, all you have to do is zoom in, right, and then pull out and you get your macro shot. So why don't they put telephotos in these phones? I, I agree with pretty much everything you said about the Mi 11. Um, and I was actually pleasantly surprised by the macro because it's actually very solid on the Mi 11. And I've, I've tried macro on some devices where it just was a joke. It was like, why did you even bother? They lack yeah. autofocus, whatever it was. Hi, OnePlus. Hello. We're looking <laughs> at you. Um, but on the other hand, like I've never, like, I've never liked telephoto, telezoom on any device until the Ultra. Um, okay. The Ultra does it really well. And, yeah, and it does. The Ultra is the only instance I've, I've experienced where I'm like, okay, I'm going to use this because it's actually doing a good job. Um, and so to me, I just feel like zoom is useless unless it's, it's, telef it's, it's optical. Um, but yeah, the, the, the Mi 11, I feel like overall it has really solid cameras. Um, and the way I see it is it's like, it's not going to be as good as like the ultra overall. It's not going to be as good as the iPhone 12 series overall or the pixel, but it is right below those players. And it's a really, really solid camera experience for the price. Uh, I oh no, 100%. I, I took some really beautiful portrait shots, beautiful just everyday shots with the phone. Uh, everything came out really, really solid. Low light was solid as well. Um, but I was, I was disappointed by the selfie photos, especially. Yeah. You know, that's the problem. I feel like, honestly, my favorite selfies is still the Pixel cameras, especially the older Pixels, like the 3XL, which Agreed. had the autofocus and the dual lens. But I feel like there are a few phones out there that do okay with selfies that are not Samsung or Apple or Pixels. But that's one of the areas where I find these $750 pseudo-flagships. I mean, it's a flagship, right, the Mi 11, but it's a pseudo-flagship in my book because it's at a price point where it's missing some critical things, like a telephoto. And they could have remedied that by removing that macro and putting a telephoto in, which is really weird. Like, I don't understand why they didn't do that. But it means that they also cut some corners somewhere. And the selfie camera usually ends up getting a bit of an axe. And, and you see the results, as you said, in your review. And I think that the other thing, too, is 1080p on the front camera. Come on, guys. Like, every iPhone can do, you know, 30 frame per second or, sorry, 60 frame per second, even 4K, right? Like, you talk about stills. I realize that. But I feel like if a f camera sensor can handle 60 frames per second 4K, you, you know you're going to be okay with stills, you know, because it requires a certain level of performance to do that. Well, it's interesting that that's one of your gripes because Xiaomi's made a big deal about the phone's video prowess, you know, like it has all these features and, it's, and it could do 8K. And so, um, but it's all about the rear camera, <laughs> right, when it comes to video. Yeah. Exactly. And then the other problem then too is, you know, it's nice to do good video on the back. And, and in fact, I did some video with Mi 11. The OIS on that phone is really solid. And on top of that, they have, you know, electronic stabilization. So it's very steady. But then again, so is Apple. So is Samsung. Like, I hate to say this, but when it comes to video, Apple still wins. Like, I'm sorry. And that's why I still use an iPhone for my shooting my videos for my YouTube channel. 
And, you know, well, some people use professional cameras like Sony Alphas and stuff, but I, I'm a bit more DIY and punk rock, so I just feel a phone is fine. But I, I wouldn't use a Pixel to do my, my unboxing videos on my channel. I wouldn't use... I might use a Samsung phone, but I don't think I'd use a Mi 11 for that. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm with you with that 100%. I actually have an iPhone 11 just for recording video. I don't use it for anything else. That's basically what I use and testing iOS stuff. That's what I use my iPhone for. Uh, when I have to test an app, like right now I'm on, you know, like everyone else, I'm on Clubhouse. Of course, I'm not really on it because I don't have my phone with me and I turn it on once a week. So, uh, but but that's one way I was able to test it out because I have an iPhone, have access to one. But um, yeah, I think, look, I think that the Mi 11 shows a bigger trend and the bigger trend is that you can make a flagship-worthy phone for $750, as the S21 shows as well. As the, even I would say the fan edition, the S20 fan edition from last year was one of my favorite phones of 2020. Yet, we've got to stop with this lack of telephoto and these macros. Now, you know, the, you, as you said, there's bad macro and usable macro, and, and a lot of these 2-megapixel fixed-focus macros, essentially what I call sticker cameras, like they might as well be a sticker on the back of the thing because they're useless right but that being said like there clearly is some complexity that went into this macro like autofocus a five megapixel sensor they took care of it why not take all that care and put it in a telephoto just even a eight megapixel three times optical zoom telephoto like this fan edition from samsung then you can really say, I have a flagship. You finally have all the ingredients, especially on this Mi 11 that has all this fast charging and the Quad HD panel and everything else. And as you said, you know, make the selfie camera, it doesn't have to do 4K 60, but make it at least do some, a decent job with stills, you know? I, I agree. I mean, at the end of the day, people are taking a lot more selfies than they are macro shots. So well, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all about the selfie, right? So you want the selfie to look phenomenal. And who cares if you have a macro shot, really? Yeah. Yeah, and that's why, see, that's why I feel like this weird $700 price point on flagship spec phones needs to evolve to being more like the, the fan edition, which was just, everything was scaled down just enough to not be a compromise, but to bring the price down, yet you have every checkbox and every ingredient of a flagship checked. See what I'm saying? Whereas this is like, we went out with everything, but oh, we, no telephoto. Like they completely dropped one big thing. Yeah. I want more balance. Xiaomi, if you're listening. And I don't think it's just Xiaomi. I think this is OnePlus as well. This is Oppo as well. Because you remember when I reviewed the OnePlus AT for Geekspin? That was my big thing. I was like, this is a great phone, but no wireless charging and no telephoto. You can't call this a flagship. I'm sorry, guys. Anyway, let's move on to some other Xiaomi branded sub-branded phones. Uh, I want to quickly talk about the fact that while we were recording the podcast, TK and I, and I think he mentioned it on the show, the K series from, from Redmi, Xiaomi K series was announced. And as you know, the K series every year, folks, is, is a big deal because you're getting, it's like a Mi 11 Redux revisited at a lower price point. Like, you know, and it's funny that Xiaomi always does that where they, they kind of seems to shoot themselves in the foot by launching something almost as good that's cheaper. So, I'm just going to quickly go over through the specs so that people have an idea what to expect this year because the K series is always interesting. And Elena, I'd love to hear your thoughts now that you have got some Xiaomi experience, you know, under the belt to let me know what you think of these. So 
Quickly, there's three models, K40, K40 Pro, K40 Pro Plus. All of them have OLED screens at 120 hertz. The two middle and top one have Snapdragon 888, of course. The lower one has an 870, which as you know, is an 865 on steroid. We've got lots of RAM and storage, no, no big deal there. The cameras are li literally stepping from 48 to 64 to 108. And what's interesting is that they don't have telephotos. Again, there is a five megapixel macro with autofocus on each of them and an eight megapixel ultra wide and identical 20 megapixel front cameras. Does this feel familiar to you having just reviewed the Mi 11, Elena? It is very familiar for sure. I mean, it's insane, right? Uh, that's exactly what the key series is about. Battery is identical at 4,520 milliamp hour. And that's basically the gist of it. That's, that's what you're getting. So they're very similar. You get a slightly different processor on the lower end one, bigger, better, megapixel count on the cameras. I'm not sure if any of these have OIS. In the past, the K-series did not have OIS. So if you look at the article there, Elena, scroll down to the press images. Does that not look like the camera part of the Mi 11? It does. <laughs> and it's what I'm saying. Like the K-series is such a weird beast because I'm, I'm not upset about this. I want to make it clear. I think this is great. I mean, this is the arguments why you shouldn't buy a Mi 11. Wait for this and import it to the US because you can get the, the Pro Plus there, the best one of the K40s, and you get exactly essentially the same specs. And it's going to cost, and here are the prices. These are Chinese prices. So add maybe 100 bucks for global models. So the base model is $310. That's the K40. <laughs> the mid-range, the Pro, is, let's see, 434 and then the, and this is the killer, the Pro Plus is 573 US dollars. That's $200 less roughly, no, like $150 less than the Mi 11, right? It's, it's crazy to think that the Mi 11 was already a good deal compared to Samsung. And now you have the K40 Pro Plus, that's like essentially the Mi 11. <laughs> Yeah. And so, you know, of course, add a hundred bucks maybe to this to get a global model because, you know, they, Xiaomi in particular is highly subsidized in China because they have this incredible ecosystem of apps and services. And they kind of like Amazon, they kind of like hope that you're going to subscribe to their prime, you know, and subsidize the phone that way. Uh, I don't think they have a prime, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, you're just making an analogy here. So I, look, this is exciting. Those of you who know and love the K-series should be very excited about this. And I'll try to get one. But here's the thing. These phones are going to get rebranded as Poco phones like every year. You know, last year's Poco F2 Pro was essentially the K30 Pro. So, you know, Poco is going to come out in the middle of summer, like three months from now and say, hey, our new flagship has an 888 in it. And we're all going to go like, yeah, that's great. It's exactly the same as the K40 Pro Plus, guys. And they're going to be, no, it's not. It's branded Poco. You know, they're going to try to do the, these are not the droids you're looking for wave in front of our eyes. But that's what I kind of love about Xiaomi is that, they kind of shrug, like they're like, yeah, whatever, we part spin the crap out of this. Enjoy. <laughs> you, know? you get a slightly different launcher. And, you know, Poco really goes nuts with the aesthetics, as you saw with the M3. And they're going to go nuts with the aesthetics like they always do with bright colors and funky stuff. It's going to be fun. I loved, I loved that about the, uh, the M3. That was like yellow. <laughs> I know. I got the black one. I felt so bummed out because you got the yellow one. But yeah, I didn't talk much about the M3 last year, folks, but... If you want a cheap phone, like less than 200 bucks, that is just great. Like forget like the OnePlus Nord N100, forget the Moto G series, just get a freaking Poco M3. 
In fact, get the Redmi, you'll see there's the parts binning again, get the Redmi 9T, which is the Poco M3 with a, an ultra wide, because that's the only thing I could fault that phone about. I love having myself an ultra wide and that thing did. So the M3 did not. So there you go. Anyway, I want to talk about something else that just got announced. Well, technically, as we're recording this podcast, it hasn't been announced yet. But by the time you listen to this podcast, it will have been announced. And it's got me super stoked. Last year, I had Enobong on the show, you know, bored at work. And he said to me, hey, you know, I've got this phone that I love. It's called the Xiaomi Redmi Note 9 Pro Max. And I'm like, okay, tell me about it. And he just read out the specs and then gave me the price. It was like 250 bucks. And it just like had an incredible set of specs for the money. And he says, I used it and it's really good. And he, he had a video on his channel. And so I requested one from Xiaomi and I just was like, yeah, I could almost make this my daily driver. The only thing that was missing for me was wireless charging. And I think it didn't have NFC. NFC is finally coming to these cheaper Chinese phones, but a lot of them don't have it. Uh, and last year, even more of them didn't. So, you know, the news here is that there's a successor. It's called the Note 10 Pro. But as you know, last year, the Max and the non-Max version were the same phone, but in different markets. So, you know, there's probably going to be a Note 10 Pro Max, but it's going to be for India or something. You know, it's Xiaomi again. The branding is really weird. So this phone kind of blows my mind. I've had one for a few days, and I can tell you right now that we don't know the price at the exact moment that we're doing the podcast here, but I'm anticipating it to be about the same price as the Poco X3 NFC, which was 225 250 But you get so much more than even that phone. Let me walk you through the specs a little bit because it's kind of crazy. So first you get a Snapdragon 732G, which is the fastest and best Snapdragon you can get with 4G only right now. So not bad. And it feels snappy. It feels like a 765 phone in your hand. It doesn't have 5G though, but that's a no big deal. Unlike last year's models, this is now AMOLED, not IPS. So that's a huge improvement in display quality. But to save money, they didn't put the fingerprint sensor in the screen like you can do with AMOLED. They put it on the power lock key like it was last year on the IPS model. But it's much more flush now. You know how side-mounted fingerprint sensors often are like you have a little recessed area and it feels a little clunky. Now it's completely seamlessly integrated in the side. You can still feel it by touch. Like it sticks out enough that you know it's there and you can click on it because it's a button, but the whole button is an actual fingerprint sensor and it's very well done. You have a 108 megapixel sensor. Okay, so actually let's rewind a bit. The Note 10 Pro has the same camera system as the Mi 11. I'm going to pause there. And I can tell you right now that Elena's reaction on video is priceless. <laughs> the only thing you're dropping because of cost is OIS, which is probably a big deal because if you want to zoom, I've noticed it's a lot harder to get that nice 5X zoom telephoto shot with that same 108 megapixel on the Note 10 Pro than it is on the Mi 11 because you, you have to be steadier. But that being said, same 5 megapixel autofocus macro, same ultra wide for what I expect to be about 250 bucks. The battery life is insane because it's a 5,000 milliamp hour battery, it has a headphone jack, has 33 watt fast charging. It doesn't have wireless charging. Don't let's not go crazy. It does have NFC. So, you know, Google Pay works. I've been using it to buy my coffee in the morning. Look, I've had it for a few days and this thing, if you want a cheap phone and you can afford a little more than the Poco M3, right? 
you can go a little higher, this is the one to get right now. Like last year it was the Note 9 Pro Max, but this year it's the Note 10 Pro. Absolutely, 100%. I can't get over how good this phone sounds on paper. Uh, it's, it sounds like potentially the best value you can get on the market right now. Um, I mean, this doesn't sound like a budget phone. <laughs> 120 hertz uh, AMOLED display. Oh, yeah. That's the other thing. It's 120 hertz display. It's almost like a Mi 11. I can't believe it. Um, and I'm looking at the, the renders of it. It looks like a really beautiful phone, too. Um, yeah. Like, it, it looks it looks nice. I mean, I, I don't know what the, pre, what the build feels like to you, but it, it looks really attractive. Well, you know how solid the M3 felt, the Poco M3, despite being plastic? Yes. This is the same, but this is actually, a I think, a plastic frame with a faux glass back. So, like, it's plastic, plastic, and glass in front. But it has that, you know, sandwich construction where it feels really well put together. But, you know, at that price point, I don't care. I don't care that it's plastic. Yeah, this, um, this might be the best deal of the year that no one knows about, unless you're listening to, to Miriam and you hear about it. <laughs> or, or you now, Elena, because yeah. now you're sold on the Xiaomi. But uh, honestly, look, this phone's going to come to India, the Philippines, these kind of markets where it's going to make a killing. If you're in the US and you want to import this, go nuts. The other thing I want to point out, aesthetically, this phone, if you looked at it from a distance on somebody's ear, it's almost a dead ringer of the Mi 10T series of last year. So every year, Xiaomi does the Mi and then the Mi T series. So the, the 11 just came out and we're going to probably get an 11 Ultra and then an 11 Lite. We might get an 11 Pro. And then in the fall, they do the, the 11 T, 11 T Pro, 11 T Lite. And the T series is basically kind of like the K series. It's like a down cost version of the 11 they did earlier. And the camera pod on this Note 10 Pro is almost identical in aesthetics to the camera pod on the Mi 10T Pro, which also had a 108 megapixel camera. So see, it's again, part spinning to the max. I kind of love Xiaomi for just recycling, not just parts, but designs and rebranding them to, to Redmi and Poco and whatever else. You know, they have another brand in China called CC. Oh, I can't follow anymore. It's too much. <laughs> Sorry, just wanted to know. This is, it's, I know it's a little cray cray. All right. Well, anyway, that's the, that's the Xiaomi news, folks. Like, we love the Mi 11, and I'm excited about the K-series, and I'm super in love with this Note 10 Pro to the point where if that thing had wireless charging, I would be like, okay, I think I can use this as my main phone. Like, that's the only thing for me. I'm a big wireless charging person. I've gotten used to it. Now I've got all these pads everywhere in my car and everything, and I just can't do without, you know? How do you feel about wireless charging? Is it a thing for you? Um, no, um, I, I do use it, but I prefer just dedicated wired fast charging. Um, and also I'm my primary phone, which is the, uh, the Z flip. It's very finicky with wireless charging. Like I have to, yeah, you got to find the right side and stuff. Yeah. I, I found that too. Yeah. But Hey, speaking of folding phones, oh man, you're, that was a great segue, Elena rock on. Thank you. Tell us about this because you wrote about it and I think this is super exciting. Samsung, buy and try. Well, I think this was a really, really brilliant strategy on Samsung's part. I have no idea how many foldables they've been selling, if it's, if it's been successful for them or not, but they're expensive. Their foldable phones are freaking expensive and it's hard to probably sell people on them as a result. Um, but Speaking from personal experience, you know, I reviewed the Z Flip and I was so smitten with it that I went out and bought one. Um, 
But that's because I had time to spend with the device first. And once I spend time with it, I'm like, okay, this is a phenomenal phone. And although it's not a perfect phone, it's phenomenal. And I want it for myself. And I think that giving people the opportunity to really spend time with it could really make the difference to getting them to purchase it. Because I that's what I needed. Um, you yeah. know, when I first saw the Z Flip come out, I'm like, oh, it looks phenomenal. But like, that's 1500 1400 bucks. Uh, why am I going to spend that money on a phone? But yeah, once I spent time with it, I was like, hey, you know what? I love this phone. I am going to spend money on it. Uh, so I think this is a beautiful, brilliant strategy on Samsung's part. Um, I think it's going to help them sell more foldable foldables. Um, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see if people really take advantage of it. I know I will for the next generation foldables that they come out with. I will 100% be taking advantage of it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm on board. I bought the Z Flip last year, the original, at this time of year, and I bought it on a, basically the intent of returning, and I really only had it for 10 days. And same with the Z Fold 2 last fall, which was an incredible phone. Oh, my God. I wish I could have justified keeping them, you know, the $2,000 of it in my pocket. Knowing how quickly phones evolve and change as a reviewer, there's no way I can ever justify spending more than $500 on a phone right now. You and I have been doing this forever, Elena, right? Like, you look at it and you know damn well that you're going to have this phone for six months. Something better is going to replace it. Well, absolutely. Um, and what's interesting for me, though, is I've actually been sticking with the Z Flip. Uh, and that's despite all the different phones that I've been testing and that have been coming through. The Z Flip has remained my primary. Um, and, and that's despite its shortcomings because its camera is just okay. Um, it's it's definitely not the fastest phone out there, um, but it's just so much fun to have this pocketable flip phone. Uh, it it really brings you back to the way things were back in the day, and at the same yeah. time, it makes you feel like you have a piece of the future with you. Yeah. And I I never get sick of flipping it open, carrying it in my pocket. Um, the display is excellent, and uh, I love this phone, and it continues to be my phone beyond six months, which is very unusual for for me. Yay. No, that's great news. I can't wait to see what Samsung's going to come out with, hopefully in this month or next, with the new Z Flip. And we're going to get a Z Fold at some point later in the year, I presume. So I'm on board. I, I have the Z Flip 5G, thanks to our friends at AT&T. And that was a really good experience because it's uh, the same chassis and industrial design same cameras, but you get a slightly faster processor and an 865 plus instead of an 855. And of course you get 5G and I live in 5G land. Like I'm on T-Mobile primarily, but also on AT&T and Ver I got 5G on all of them, including low band on Verizon. And I've got a block to walk to get millimeter wave on Verizon. So I'm very spoiled now. And uh, it's nice to have. I don't need it. Definitely not. As, as I explained to you folks earlier, the performance is not hugely better than LTE in most cases, unless you go millimeter wave. But yeah, I think like whatever they do with the Z Flip this year, I just hope that they, you know, inherit some of the camera goodness from the S20 and S21 because the cameras on the existing Z Flip are essentially a carryover from the S10 series. And, uh, you know, the rest, they could almost keep it the same, to be honest. I'm pretty happy with that design. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. It's the camera. The camera is what's needed the most to be upgraded. For sure. So speaking of cameras and Samsung, this is a hooray moment for me, Elena. I got an email this morning from Samsung PR 
they're sending me a, an S21 Ultra. Wow. Can we all have a moment wow. of like, <laughs> I know, like this has been a long, ongoing, you know, epic journey. But thanks to Samsung for sending me a device. Finally, I, at least I'll be able to compare it to the Mi 11. I know this is not a very fair comparison because the S21 Ultra is, you know, the imaging king. It's more in line with the P40 Pro Plus that I reviewed for Judy at Gear Diary recently, the, the Huawei flagship from last year. So I'm looking forward to that one. That's going to be an interesting one. And speaking of more flagships, March is going to be the launch of a bunch of BBK phones. We, As far as we know, rumors are very strong right now for a bunch of them. So, of course, the OnePlus 9 series. The rumor mill is heating up seriously, including a teaser from OnePlus themselves about something possibly happening on March 8th. So, folks, you know, keep your eyes peeled. You know that the OnePlus 9 series this year might include three phones. We're going to get a 9, a 9 Pro, and possibly like a 9 Lite, or there's rumors of it called 9R now. And there's also strong rumors of a watch coming along with these. And you think about uh, not really an Android Wear device, but more like what Xiaomi and Huawei have been doing, which is basically a, a custom OS, super power efficient Think of it as, as a health, a fitness ban on steroids, but in the shape of a watch. That's what I would expect to see from BPA Group because they did an Oppo watch and the Oppo watch, the latest, latest one is actually Android Wear. But they did, you know, they have all their uh, their bands for Realme, did a watch, etc. So I think I'm looking forward. Are you looking forward to the OnePlus 9? I love the OnePlus series. All their phones. All their phones are phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I... I you know, I, I was using a OnePlus for a long time before the, the Z Flip. Um, yeah. But there's there's always one thing that 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 holds the OnePlus back, and that's its camera. And it the camera has definitely gotten better generation to generation. Uh, I think the the AT has a really good camera, and it excels in certain areas or that other phones don't. Um, but it's still not as good as samsung and as iphone and i now that they're charging more for their phones i feel like they really need to step it up and get their camera to be just as good as the, as as those com competitors because otherwise why are we spending this much on your phone <laughs> right i mean basically i think that you know if you look at what the mi 11 brings to the table we need to get that from OnePlus on the 9 never mind the 9 pro i think the 9 pro should be like the ultra like, I don't mind that the 9 Pro is going to be whatever it is, $800, $900, like the 8 Pro was last year. I use an 8 Pro as my daily driver. I love it. And the reason I picked that was wireless charging, number one, but also because it has that incredible Sony IMX 689 bespoke sensor that was only shared with the Oppo Find X2 Pro as a main sensor. And that thing just demolishes. It's so good. It's the only thing that's really good, though, is the main sensor. You still have a real telephoto on that which also is a requirement for me so i don't mind but i feel like you know you look at what the competition the competition is tightening on oneplus is what i'm saying but here's the problem right if you look at the competition within the u.s there really isn't much oneplus still has a huge leg to stand on in the u.s in terms of pricing and i think that's kind of what they're banking on because you know the chinese brands don't exist in the u.s you have no oppo you have no xiaomi so you know, in that sense, like we are comparing globally, we're looking at a global market and saying, well, OnePlus is not competitive in that market. But in the US, it's Apple, Samsung or OnePlus. If you think about it, like what else is there? LG has gone for all practical purposes. 
Moto's flagships just never really quite deliver. I mean, what else is there? That is a fair point. There really isn't any solid flagship competition outside of Samsung and Apple. That said, isn't that who they're targeting with the 8 Pro, the 9 Pro, whatever will be next? It, it seems to me like they do want to get a mar get some of their market share. That that's like that's logical next steps for them. So if they want to be able to take a bite out of Samsung, they got to step it up in the camera game. I agree 100%. So the pricing will be really critical on these. I have no doubts that technically speaking, these phones are going to be superb. I think the 9 regular is probably going to give us wireless charging this year, which is going to be a big deal. The 9 Pro is going to give us the same camera system as whatever comes with the Oppo Find X3 series, which uh, we're going to get to in a second. So because traditionally that's what happens. The, these, these phones are twins. The Find series from Oppo and the OnePlus flagships are essentially cut from the same cloth. So I'm looking forward to it. I, I mean, if you're in the US right now, you walk into a carrier store like T-Mobile or something, or even Verizon, OnePlus is one of the few things you can buy that's, you know, much more affordable, but yet still really good in terms of features. So if they can be even more competitive, especially now that Samsung took a page from OnePlus, by, as I said at the time, out OnePlusing OnePlus with the Galaxy S20 Fan Edition last year, the better phone than the AT, and it costs less. So, like, that's it. OnePlus, the gauntlet is thrown. You need to know that, obviously, Samsung's going to be making an S21 Fan Edition soon, and probably sooner than the fall, like they did last year. So, that means the OnePlus 9 and 9 Pro really have to hit it on the nail price-wise, or feature-wise, or both. But we'll see what happens. This, you know, these rumors of this event on the 8th, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And then related to that, we have confirmation now that Oppo is going to launch the Find X3 series on March 11th. So just a few days after. And whatever specs we see on the Find X3 series, especially the X3 Pro, is going to be reflected on the OnePlus 9 to a greater extent. So that's kind of why I'm bringing it up. For those of you who are in the US and know that you're not going to be able to buy an Oppo phone, or if you do buy it, it won't have 5G that works in the US. It's kind of your canary in the coal mine for what the OnePlus 9 brings to the table a few weeks in advance. So keep your ears out for that. And that phone has a really crazy looking camera bump. Kind of looks like the iPhone one, but has these weird slopes kind of building up to it. It's like a Mesa instead of like a platform. It's very interesting. So those are some of the, the leaks and rumors for this week in terms of BBK Group. Then another thing that's not a rumor, it's it's more like bragging rights. Realme, which is another BBK brand, announced that the Realme 8 is coming soon. They didn't give us any specifics other than it will have a 108 megapixel camera. And this is going to be a phone that costs like 400 bucks, $350. So again, what's your take on this? Like we're seeing these 108 megapixel cameras trickling down from like, you know, the S21 Ultra and the Note 20 Ultra down to the Mi 11 at 750. And now down to like, you know, that Xiaomi Redmi Note 10 Pro and, and this Realme 8, which will be similarly priced. Do you think it matters? Because like, do we really need that many megapixels? I don't think it matters. I don't think the, the, the megapixel number matters. I don't think it's ever mattered. Uh, yes, it helps with resolution and zooming in, but at the end of the day, I'd rather have a, a lower megapixel count that produces better photos than a higher megapixel camera. And, you know, you, you mentioned the $400 price point because um, it's like, wow, look, a, 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 ca a camera on a phone that's 108 megapixels 
108 megapixels for only $400. It sounds like incredible, but so I got to give you a little bit of history with myself and 108 megapixels because the first time that I ran into a 108 megapixel camera was at Global Sources in, in Hong Kong, which is a conference that happens twice a year in Hong Kong. And it's very, Global Sources is very much like Alibaba. They have a ton of Chinese manufactured smartphones on the show floor. And I ran into several phones there on the show floor for the first time that were 108 megapixels coming from brands no one's ever heard of. And these phones were like a hundred bucks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you see where I'm going with that. Yeah. Um, so I think that the technology behind 108 megapixels isn't actually that expensive if the quality isn't there to support it. Um, so it sounds great on paper and I can see why they're, they're pitching this as a selling point, but unless it actually is something that produces really good photos, the megapixel count means nothing to me. Yeah. I mean, the, the reality is here is short of this, you know, Shenzhen special 108 megapixel that you saw at Global Sources, these are the Samsung sensors. These are the same sensor we have on the Ultra. Like this is the the one. It's the oh. This is well what, yeah. This is what I'm trying to point out. Now the real me one is supposedly a variation made by Samsung on that you know high end sensor. So it's probably a slightly detuned, but it's still a Samsung sensor. So this is what I'm saying. Okay. Like all these phones we've discussed on the show so far with 180 megapixel sensor have the Samsung sensor. It's not a cheapened one. So technically, you know, there are differences in terms of number of lenses, the way the OIS is installed or not, but you're getting at the baseline potentially the same performance in terms of, you know, depends on the image processing, of course. But, you know, to me, it, it says something. It says that pixel binning is a thing. It's real. It's happening. It really gives better results in low light. And if... We only have that high resolution for that alone. I think it's worth it. Now, you said, yeah, you can zoom a little more. That's nice, but it only really works in daylight, right? At night, you can't pixel bin and zoom at the same time because you lose the resolution then. But I think it's good. I just feel like there's a bit of a marketing play here, which is a little, you know, gimmicky, right? Because, like, you can do probably the same with a 48 or a 64 megapixel sensor right now, you know? Yeah. So I'm not sold on it, but I'm not against it. Basically. Well, it's like you said, if, you, if that's a Samsung sensor in there, that, that changes my perspective completely. Yeah, no, this is the real deal, which is kind of crazy. I mean, so far, you know, unless you buy, like, as I said, some Shenzhen special no-name brand phone, if you see 108 megapixel on a branded, a known brand, it's, it's going to be the Samsung sensor. There is, I think, nobody else doing 108 right now. No Omnivision, no Sony. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm, I was just kind of thinking as I was saying that. It's kind of interesting, actually, that we haven't seen any competition. And that Samsung's now working on a 200 megapixel sensor, which is kind of amazing. Speaking of, it's funny we're speaking of Samsung again, because, well, <laughs> we talked about them with the buy and try, and then the fact that I finally got my review unit coming. But you know what? They just you know, launched this Chromebook 2 at CES, and the reviews finally came out this week. I'm going to actually point to Mr. Mobile's review, because it's actually a really good one. And what's interesting is that, you know, Chromebooks, I'm a big fan of Chromebooks. Actually, in fact, I have the, um, the Lenovo Duet, the really cheap one, the $250, $300 one that they make that's a two-in-one that's running a MediaTek chip. And honestly, I love that thing. It's great as a tablet because it runs Android apps if you want it. It's great as a laptop when you set it up with the keyboard because you can actually get some work done with a real web browser, Chrome. And 
you know, I've always been a big fan of Chromebooks for a long time, but it's interesting that Samsung last year with the Chromebook, the Galaxy Chromebook came out guns blazing, like pixel book level, right? They went $1,000, 4K display, the whole shebang. And now they're scaling that back with a Chromebook 2 to like more of a $700 price point. You know, I think it starts a little on that, but you don't want the Celeron model with four gigs of RAM. At that point, you might as well just buy an Acer, an Asus, some cheaper Chromebook with the same specs. But it's interesting to me that it's tearing up, right? Like the Chromebook world, it still has a few flagships like the Pixelbook. Then there's the kind of that middle range where the Chromebook 2 is playing. And of course the Pixelbook Go from Google. And then you've got the super cheap world where that Lenovo Chromebook Duet lives that I love. So are you a fan of Chromebooks? What do you think? Well, like yourself, I actually have the the Duet and I love it. Uh, I think it's a really, really great value. It's a great intro into the world of Chromebooks. Um, my problem with Chromebooks have always been that like they lacked a solid bin range. So they've they've always had like the budget devices, which, you know, or maybe maybe it's yeah. fine for like a kid. But for me, I've always found that they're underpowered. The displays aren't good enough. And then you have at the other end, it's like you mentioned the the Pixel Book, which is it's a great device, but it's expensive. It's a thousand bucks, and for a thousand bucks, I'm like, I don't see the appeal of getting a Chromebook at that. Part. Yeah, getting a MacBook Air M1 at this point. Exactly. So I feel like the Chromebook Two is 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 a much needed entry into the Chromebook space, uh, and it's it's actually the first Chromebook that I thought to myself I might buy that. And and that's because it's it's just the right price, right around five fifty, and it looks like a really really premium build. It's got a great display. It doesn't seem underpowered, uh, and I this to me is what Chromebooks should have been about to begin with. Yeah, um, you know, undercutting the competition when it comes to premium hardware, but not but not being a budget device only right like yeah, yeah. so it's like it, it's essentially it's 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 like the first to me it seems like the first solid entry for mid-range chromebooks that that really has entered the space so far i i know i know like asus and and uh, acer do have some decent mid-range chromebooks but nothing has ever really appealed to me um none yeah. of them have really been sexy this is a sexy laptop i mean that red really pops it's super, super sleek. Uh, it's it's different. This is an attractive Chromebook, and the price makes it even more attractive. I think you you hit the nail on the head. There's a there was a lull in that mid range that needed to be filled, and Google tried with the Pixelbook Go, but you know it was one nice mid range, and you know it had a few compromises. Display particularly is not as nice as this Galaxy Chromebook too. So I think that I actually want to see the Acer's and Asus's and Lenovo's of the world be a little more mid-range with their Chromebooks, but without sacrificing, you know, nice build and features and displays. And I'm kind of sick and tired of 16 by 9 displays on these Chromebooks. Like, I'm actually kind of sick and tired of 16 by 9 displays on laptops, period. Maybe it's because I'm a Mac user and I'm used to the 2 by 3 or whatever they're doing, the aspect ratio that's a little more square on the Macs. And on the Pixelbooks from Google, traditionally, except for the Go, has done like, you know, more square display because I, those are web browsing devices for me. I get work done on them. I, I don't need to watch videos on them. That's why I have a tablet for or a big TV, you know, like, I don't know. It's, it's, that's one of my pet peeves about laptops right now. It's a 16 by nine thing. If you look at that Chromebook too, 
there's this black bezel at the bottom of it because of the display aspect ratio. Like it could be filled up so that it has slim bezels, not just the top and sides, but the bottom too. It's very, very weird looking. So I actually didn't catch that initially, but I'm not that fussed being that it has a $550 price point. Right. Well, the 551 is a is the Celeron with four gig. You don't want that one. You want the $700 one. Mm, okay. That's the trick, right? Because at, at $500, 550 the specs on that are no better than your Duet. Mm, okay. I mean, it's a bigger screen and a nicer chassis, but you're not getting more performance than the Duet, right? So that's kind of where... Uh, I didn't realize that there was a... This. Yeah. So that's the challenge here. Yeah. So, hey, speaking of laptops, I want to talk about one last thing. A framework, this company I've never heard of, I saw this in Gadget Story and I was like, hmm, interesting. They are developed or maybe selling now a laptop that's modular. And I I don't mean modular in the way like, you know, in this gimmicky way, more like in a better for recycling and for upgrading than what we're used to on today's laptops, which almost are, you know, iFixit always makes a big fuss about how Apple doesn't make a laptop's upgradable, no more RAM upgrades or no more SSD upgrades. And I understand why, you know, economies of scale, uh, smartphone technology trickling down into laptops like we see with the MacBook Air M1, and it's all beneficial to everyone. But for some folks, I think this might be really cool. It's repairable, recyclable, reusable, upgradable, and it still doesn't look like a crap bulky thing. Like it doesn't look like some weird, you know, ugly one-off Kickstarter special, right? Uh, I'm looking at it and I love the concept. Uh, it's like 25 years too late. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, you know, my hope is that companies take a look at this and, and they build on it and they actually use this, this concept, but I don't think they're going to. No, nah, I don't think so too. Going back to what you said about like iFixit. Yeah, I remember when when MacBooks, you could open them up and add the RAM, change the hard drive, and it was wonderful. Um, and it, you know, it gave the laptop more shelf life. Um, but Apple took that away, and I feel like just in general, the industry has closed their sim- systems more and more over the years. Uh, and for whatever reason, I don't see them adopting this. I wish they would, especially when it comes to when you're talking about say, sustainability. Um, I mean, imagine if you had a laptop that. Every two years, you could just switch out the processor and the RAM. Yeah, it, it's great for the environment, great for your wallet. Um, but I don't think companies are going to think it's great for their bottom line. Yeah, not only that, but I think that it adds more moving parts and complexity to the manufacturing, which makes the price higher and makes it more inherently less reliable. Like you, as an engineer, you cannot make something that has moving parts that's more reliable or as reliable as something with just everything is soldered on, right? Well, here's a question for you. Someone who's obviously an advanced user, if if this type of laptop was available, but it cost more than like, let's say a typical MacBook Pro, would you want it for a premium? I mean, me personally, I'm, an, I'm more of a Mac user. You know, I don't think so. But I think that, yeah, that's the question to ask. Would some, who would benefit from this other than like, I hate to say that because I don't want to be mean, but greenies, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I know what you mean. Um, I feel like there's, there's, there's the, the draw here would be to people that are environmentally conscious. And then the other draw is for people that are just like really advanced users who enjoy opening up a laptop and, and playing with it. Um, I feel like there are use cases for it. Um, but 
how many people are really willing to pay that premium for the use case, I don't know. One of the things that I think they did right here, I love the idea, but I don't think it's viable, as you said. But I feel like, you know, those little dongle modules that have USB-C on one end and a little box and then the port on the other end and the port could be HDMI, display port, USB-A, whatever. And then it has these slots that it slots into on the laptop. I think Asus or somebody should do that because dongle life sucks. And this is the same as dongle life, right? The laptop really has only USB-C ports on it, but they're recessed. And then these little modules slide in and you, you go for the day and you go like, am I going to need a type A port today? Yeah, I think I'm going to need a type A port. Grab that dongle, stick it in. You know, I'm going to need HDMI today because I'm going to plug this into a projector. Grab an HDMI dongle, plug it in. That to me is cool. That's the modularity I want. The motherboard, the display, all that. I think for you and I, it's different because we're Mac users. Like I keep my Macs five years. Like often I do because they're so good and they don't wear out and they last and they still remain usable for that long. So, you know. You know, it's interesting because obviously desktops traditionally, historically, they have been the PCs that you can open up and, and, and configure and upgrade and that are modular. Uh, and in the gaming space, that's something that people still do. Um, so if anything, I feel like this concept would really trade well, tra excuse me, this concept would really translate well to gaming laptops and to gaming yeah. enthusiasts. Because I feel like they are probably the, the, the biggest market for this. Uh, if they would pay the premium, for a laptop like this that they can keep upgrading and, and do modular things with. So that's actually a really good point. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So like um, Acer and, and guys like that who love to do experimental things with gaming laptops, I hope they're paying attention to this and, and thinking about it. Yeah. We need to see an Asus ROG gaming laptop with some of the concepts of this built in. That's what would be, would be really cool. That would be exciting. Yeah. Well, on that note, that's the show, folks. So, Elena, do you want to tell people where they can find you on the internet, your social media handles, and of course, you know, give uh, Geekspin some love? You can find me at geekspin.co, uh, not.com. And uh, we're also on Twitter at geekspinco and Instagram, geekspinco. You folks should read the Geekspin, and I write uh, reviews for Geekspin sometimes too. So, you, you've seen the links before. So check it out. And more importantly, go check out Elena's Mi 11 review. I've got it linked in the show notes and the story on the Samsung try before you buy folding phone thing. And uh, folks, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankgirl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L on Twitter and Instagram. That's like the comic book character, Tankgirl. Drop the vowels so you get T-N-K-G-R-L. And uh, if you want to discuss the show, go on Twitter. Talk to me there. Talk to Elena and me there. And then if you want to see pretty pictures of phones and pretty pictures taken with phones, then you should go to Instagram. There's lots of that there. I got a couple of YouTube channels that go alongside the podcast. One is youtube.com slash mobiletechpodcast, obviously. It is where you'll find mostly unboxing videos, but some reviews and some hands-ons with phones and other devices that I discuss here on the show, mostly mobile tech. And then we have another channel, youtube.com slash mobile tech more that we're just rolling out. So please subscribe to both, but particularly subscribe to the new channel because that's going to be uh, more of the smart home and other kind of accessory related products that we come across because we get pitched a lot of fun stuff that way and we just never know where to put them. So we've been uh, 
putting some videos up there and starting that out so we can use your help. So check it out. Subscribe to Boost channel. Tell your friends, you know, comment, all that good stuff. Like the videos. The podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. So if you want to subscribe, we're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, pretty much everywhere a good podcast can be found, you'll be able to find the show. So please subscribe and tell your friends all that stuff. If your podcast app supports rating the show or reviewing the show, please consider rating and reviewing the show. It really helps for discovery for people who might stumble upon us and, and uh, subscribe. And then uh, there's a donate link in the show notes. So if you want to help the podcast, uh, donate a bit of money, that would be great. It's a PayPal link, pretty straightforward. Check it out. And I want to thank, of course, our longtime sponsor, Audible, for being with us for years now and really helping out. And uh, we have a deal for you. If you want to join Audible and you want a special deal, 30-day free trial, you get a free book at the end. It's a great opportunity. AudibleTrial.com slash mobile tech is the URL. That's AudibleTrial.com slash mobile tech. So Audible, if you don't know who Audible is by now, let me give you a quick outline. They're an audiobook provider. They're part of Amazon, but they're pretty awesome. They have an incredibly great collection of books. If you are a bookworm, you love books, and maybe you don't want to read them, you want to listen to them instead, they're your platform. They have a great collection, as I said. A lot of books are read by the authors. A lot of books are like these epic readings, like or listenings, as it were. 10 hours, 12 hours. I love that. You listen to a couple of hours, you put it aside, you go back to it a few days later. Maybe you're doing a road trip and you're listening to it while you drive. It's just a great experience and a great selection. And really, they are the best audiobook platform out there. So I'm so glad they've been sponsoring us for a long time. And I think you'll enjoy it too. If you're not already a member, consider joining. Get that 30-day free trial and free book at the end. AudibleTrial.com slash mobile tech. I want to thank Audible for being with us forever now. And I want to thank you, Elena, once again for joining the show. Well, thanks for having me back. Uh, I'll always be back as long as I get invited. <laughs> Of course you will. We'll have you on again some point. And folks, we'll have another show next week, so stay tuned for that. And until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.